nothing but fools gone. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope you're enjoying our service. How many dads? All right. Well, happy Father's Day to you dads. Did you get a donut? Donuts for dads today, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's right. Glazed donut right here. Yeah, just like I need it. Yeah, good stuff. But hey, we have, a, we have an update on Tiffin. I know a lot of you have been praying about that. And uh, I, let me just, if I could just tell you the story. Two weeks ago today, I ran into one of the guys on our board, Tom Price, and I told him, wow, we've exhausted every opportunity, everything that I could think of, every possibility. I mean, we've been looking at uh, space that we could use, space that we could uh, rent. We went through the mall at Tiffin. We looked at JCPenney's, just all these places. We looked at some schools, all these things, and we were kind of coming up with nothing. And I told him at that point, I, that was two weeks ago, I said, uh, you know, now we're reduced to having to search out who owns land in the area that we want and cold calling them to ask them if they will sell us land. I mean, that's how bad it got. And I said, the good thing about this, if anything happens from this point, it'll be so obvious it's a God thing and not us. And would you know that that very weekend, Pam and I were at an open house in Tiffin and and we, we swung by a property and she said, I think that sign says this business has moved. It wasn't for sale or lease or anything. And and we went and looked at that, and then a couple of days later, David, Stacy, and I went and looked at that property, and then I took the staff to look at it, not for sale or lease, just this property that we thought this would be perfect, perfect location. And while we were there, as we rolled up with the staff, the owners were there, and they said, we only plan to be here five minutes. And you guys all rolled up, we talked to them, connected, and it looks like we have a lead and things are looking good, but, but we're not far enough along to really tell you a lot of details. But here's what I will tell you. In two weeks, July 1st, we're going to have a, what we call a meeting. But basically, we're going to tell you the details. We're going to put out a brochure uh, showing you the property, giving the location, the amount, what that's going to take, because uh, that'll be us financing. But it turns out that's actually going to be cheaper than what the places we were looking at to lease. And then, of course, any remodeling, we'd do the same amount of remodeling, probably more in a place that we would lease, and uh, just financially kind of works. We're going to just tell you all that stuff in a brochure, and then that'll also give our members of Grace a chance to affirm uh, the elders' decision to move forward or not affirm that. And so you guys get a say in that, and, and we want your input. So if you could just hold on for two weeks, we're going to put something in your hand. It, we're also, that's... July 1st, and we're doing outreach at Sunday, so in the service, we're not going to be talking a lot about it because of that, but we're going to have a brochure that says everything, and that'll be our opportunity to vote. So, so here's what I'm saying. Thank you, first of all, for praying, and then I know many of you have, over and above what you normally give to Grace to keep our ministry running, have been giving to Growing with Grace, which is our capital fund that helps us do things like this, and especially targeting Tiffin, this one is. And if you've been involved in that, thank you very much. It seems like God is opening a huge door. This is exactly within a half-mile radius of where we wanted to be, and, uh, and we're just really excited about it. So keep praying. Wow, I'm going to need a little more prayer support. This thing could go down. I mean, this could not work. So keep praying. All right, yeah, let's, let's pray this thing through. It's not a done deal yet. So please keep that in mind. Um, we're, we're in our series, and I got to tell you, 
Actually, Pam and I have vacation coming up, and we're taking a road trip, which Pam and I like to do. We fly places, but we actually like driving places, and we're going out to Colorado. And while I'm out there, one of my brothers actually has an interest in a mining claim. Uh, it, it, not what it, this is just a mining claim that's worth like 2000 bucks. It's on national forests that you can have a claim, and you pay money every year, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so he want, it's way high in the mountain. It's not always accessible to it, so he wants to make sure what the access is to that before he, before he gets the rights to that mining claim. So I plan to do that. That's up in a place called Pitkin, Colorado that probably none of you have ever heard of. And, uh, and then while we're up there, I thought I would do a little gold panning. Anybody ever do that? So pan for gold, I'm thinking, you know, if we're going up to check out a mining claim, and we're going to be up in the mountains for a couple other things that I wanted to do. There's a place up in the mountains where my, my great, actually my grandfather and his brother rounded up Mustangs in the mountains. Actually, they, they did that from western Kansas. They'd uh, go all the way up to Colorado, round up horses. Anyway, so, and I've never been in this one place called Moffat. But anyway, we're going to go up and check out a few places, and we're going to pan for gold. Now, the thing about panning for gold is you have to know gold from something called fool's gold. That's right. That's the name of our series. You got to get that down. And here in this series about Ecclesiastes, this is what Solomon's saying. Everybody, they're, they're wanting gold. They're chasing what they think will bring them happiness and satisfaction. But he's telling us it's actually just fool's gold. It never works. Even when we're panning for real gold, even that's fool's gold, if we think that's going to bring us happiness and meaning in life because Solomon is telling us that it never will. Now, as we continue in the series, we remember there's some... Ter- well, by the way, who was here last week and heard Tim's sermon? Were you here? Do you remember the story about the stuffed animals? Okay, I, I got to tell you, I'm listening to this story and if you weren't here, he's talking about every, for the last, I don't know, 10 years or something, every six months or so, there's a stuffed animal in his backyard. He lives out in the county, you know, out by Gibsonburg, and there's a stuffed animal there. I'm, he's telling this story, and I'm thinking, this is like the first five minutes of a horror film. You know, something bad is going to happen. You know, you look out, and there it is, you know. See, but anyway, if Becky's in here, tell her not to worry. But it, it's just, you know, that's... Weird story. But anyway, we're going through Ecclesiastes, and then there are these terms, remember? There's life under the sun. And anytime you read that life under the sun, that's Solomon saying naturalistic life, life with no God, life not believing in God, like an atheist's life, or life like an agnostic who is just a a bland atheist. He he doesn't want to say either way, yeah, there's a God, but we can't know him. It's life without God in the picture. That's life under the sun. And then he'll also say another phrase, chasing after the wind. And then he'll say life without God, and there's this repeating word that is translated different ways in different places, but it's vanity, or it's meaningless, it's futile, and the Hebrew word there is hevel, it's hevel, it's just meaning, and it's kind of hard to translate, because it encompasses everything, it's just life devoid from God, it has no meaning, no purpose, and we talked two weeks ago about how philosophically, as we deal with people today, that's exactly the way it is, But way back then, 3,000 years ago, I mean, Solomon's saying basically the very same thing. Hevel. It's like a vapor of mist. 
I remember as a kid being high in the mountains, and as a kid, do you, you ever remember looking at the clouds and thinking, oh, the clouds, how cool would it be to be in a, you know, they're fluffy, white, how cool would it be to be in a cloud? I remember one time being camping way up in the mountains and watching a valley and a cloud moving in and the clouds moving in at my elevation. You know, I probably didn't know what the word elevation was, but the clouds move in, I realize the cloud's going to hit me. So I'm waiting and I'm thinking, how cool is this? This fluffy white cloud, it's coming in to cushion me with its pillowy softness. And then what happens? You know, it gets there and it's just kind of gray and dreary and misty and damp. I mean, nothing, no pillow, no softness, no fluff, nothing like that. That's Havel. It's just there. It's Havel. It's just there. It's just mist. It's just vapor. It's gone. That's what Solomon's saying life is without God. He confronts us with the bleak reality of life apart from God. How many of you know who David Cassidy is? You're going to betray your age when you answer. David Cassidy, he died a few months ago. And he was, when he was young, he was estranged from his dad, and they didn't have a good relationship. His dad was an actor, a singer, just like he was. He was a struggling singer, and then he hit it big because he landed on a TV show called The... Yeah, you guys are really showing it. Yeah, Partridge Family. And he was a teenager, and he became, and so he was Keith Partridge in this singing family, and he became like a teen icon heartthrob kind of guy. And everything that he could have wanted sort of came true. I mean, he was selling out concerts, solo concerts, where he'd do his own music and this music. And he went from a struggling actor to he was on the face. His, his face was on the cover of every teeny bopper magazine that came out. He was there. He was known internationally. I mean, he had made it. And as his star was rising, his father's star was declining. His fame was lessening. And he seemed to be kind of jealous of his son, and, he, and their relationship even got worse. It was already bad. He never told his son that he was proud of him or anything like that. Their relationship kind of totally broke down. And then if you know anything about the circumstances of his death, you know, he, he basically had a problem with alcohol, and, and then he had told some people because he did some stuff at some concerts that he was having problems with, with his mind that he wasn't remembering, but that re he later said that was just a cover. And toward the end of his life, you know, what was happening in, is although he, he attained all that fame, and he was a, a struggling musician, it was exactly what he wanted, but yet it was never enough because he had this two things, a deep longing personally for a relationship with his dad that he never had, and then professionally he had this this want that he would be taken more seriously as a musician and not just a heartthrob. And so both personally and professionally, it left him empty. And he finally turned away from those things and tried to make a solo career, and it didn't really go that well, and he turned to alcohol. It's the same predictable story, and it leads to his death. You see, he, and actually his last words, his daughter said, was, his last words were, so much time wasted. 
he's living hevel. He's, he lived out exactly what Solomon was saying. And, and the great thing about Solomon telling us all this is we don't have to wait till the end of our lives to figure this out. Because Solomon, who God gave wisdom, who is the wisest man who had ever lived to that point, second maybe only to Jesus, he's the guy that's telling us how to live. He's telling us in advance, don't wait to find this out. I'm telling you, none of this stuff that you're pursuing apart from God will ever bring you satisfaction or happiness. It can't. It won't. But many live for achievement. You know, especially dads, right? It's so easy for us to live for work and achievement, thinking that, that that's going to somehow satisfy us. Well, here's what Solomon says. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning of verse 4. It says, talking about some of his accomplishments in life, he says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who proceeded in me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces and I provided for myself male and female singers. Tim was talking about that last time. And the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor." Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. And it's a reminder for us dads that we should not be so caught up in our work for achievement that we think that is what's going to bring happiness because it's not. And the other caution for us dads is when we pour into our kids, and of course we want them to work and achieve, but not at the expense of God and relationships. And so it's got to be balanced. Because if we, if we think that attaining things by achievement, attaining things by labor will bring us happiness, it will not. It will always fail in that. And, and in that sense, Solomon's living the American dream, right? He achieved everything. He built all this stuff. He built the temple. He amassed wealth. He was highly respected among other kings and rulers around the world that would come and ask him about his wisdom to learn from him. I mean, he, he attained the highest status, and he's telling us it's empty because living for achievement doesn't bring happiness. That's what Solomon's telling us. Living for achievement or living for work doesn't bring happiness like we think it might. Ecclesiastes 2.17 continues this way. He says, 
So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility, that's hevel, and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too, vanity. Therefore, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom knowledge, and skill, and then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them, this too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task, because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Solomon's telling us work, although work can be a good thing, but work, if that's all there is, and if that's what you think is going to bring you happiness, instead, work always brings pain, grief, worry. Work brings pain even when things are going well. Pain in that it's effort and toil and energy and work, work, work will wear you out, he's saying. And when it's not going well, it brings you grief because work always has to be evaluated. Either your work is evaluated or you have to evaluate the work that's being done under you. And, and there's always going to be less than good. I mean, there's always the grief of this isn't as good as it could be. It needs to be better. And then work brings worry. You're worried about, is tomorrow going to be good work and only just bring pain and effort? Or is it going to go bad and bring grief and, and the evaluation is going to be negative? It's which one? Either way. Or is it going to bring both tomorrow? And because of that worry, you lay awake at night thinking about work. How many have done this? You lay awake at night, say 2 to 3 a.m., and you're looking at the clock thinking, I need my sleep because I have to go to... But you can't sleep because you're, you start thinking about some of that work, and then, I don't know how it works for you, but then your heart starts pumping a little faster, and then I get, like, really hot, and, like, I need a fan on me, and, you know, and, and it's because you're thinking about work, worry, grief, pain. Aren't you glad he came to church this morning? <laughs> uh, that's That's work. That's what Solomon's telling us. That's, that's what's come. It will never satisfy. Why? Well, because it's unfulfilling and it's fleeting. It never delivers on its own the satisfaction that people think it will deliver. Tom Brady, maybe the best quarterback that's ever played the game, playing for one of the worst teams that's ever played the game. 
five-time Super Bowl champion, five rings, played in more Super Bowls than that. He's 40 years old. When he was 30, he had won his second Super Bowl ring, and there was an interview, and it went like this. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> this is what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Solomon's saying, it will never satisfy. What's the answer? God, he's going to give us the answer. We're getting to the answer. But it's life with God. There's another a famous player named Dwayne Thomas. He was actually being interviewed before he played a Super Bowl, and they're saying, so what do you think about you know, being on the stage, the Super Bowl, the ultimate game? I mean, how must you feel? And, he go, and here's what he said. Well, if it's the ultimate game, why are they going to play it again next year? Hevel, you know, he's saying, hey, Hevel, it's, it's, it's fleeting. It's unfulfilling. It doesn't last. That's what these guys who are at the top of their game have discovered, and we see that happening all the time. They're struggling with meaninglessness. They're saying, wow, I, I've done all this stuff, and what does it really matter? You know, Antonio Brown just a week ago, I know I'm on football players, hey, it's been a long time, we're in a dry spell here. You know, and he was saying, you know, he, he was kind of having the same class. He, he said, no matter what I do on the field, he'll go to the Hall of Fame. No matter what I do, it'll be forgotten, he said. And, he's, and then everybody's like, no, you'll be in the Hall of Fame. Nobody's going to, yeah, it will be. Oh, yeah, maybe not for a few decades. But in 100 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years, he'll be forgotten. That's what Solomon's saying. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came, and will take nothing from the fruit of his labor so that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as man is born, thus he will die. So what's the advantage to him who toils for the wind? He said, life is short. We can't take anything with us. We leave this world exactly the way we come in, with nothing. And we need to reevaluate our lives a little bit. 
I remember when I went to my first year of Bible school, I went one year in a, a little school called Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and I was there, and I've been working, and I got a job there, but I was poor. And, and back then, which it's just weird how this all changes, you know, it's, you're, when you're studying for the ministry, you just want books, reference books. You want books, books to study. And there's this bit, I should have brought it out. It's, there's a big book called Strong's Concordance. How many of you have heard of that, Strong's Concordance? And this guy, James Strong, took like 20, 30 years of his life to reference and categorize every single word in the King James Bible. So every occurrence of every single word, you could look up in Strong's and get a definition, and then everybody used that to cross-reference everything. So this is just a major piece of work, and I found one for 20 bucks. And I was like, 20 bucks? I got a Strong's concordance. Woohoo! You know, I was so excited about that. I found one of these cheap. Do you know now that, that 20, 30 years of what Strong's did, James Strong? A middle school student could do that in about 20 seconds on a computer. Hevel. Even when we're working for good things, I mean, in some sense. Who would have thought that? I would have never. Th I thought, I'll have this book for the rest of my life. I have the book. It's on the bottom shelf in my office. And I haven't, I haven't opened this book in over a decade. Not only does work not uh, fulfill, it's fleeting, working for achievements, fleeting, it's unfulfilling. But also work without God, it leads to imbalance in our life. Listen next to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.4. He says, I have seen that, that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between man and his neighbor, he's saying work tends to be competitive. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun, and there was a certain man without a dependent. No family. Having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it's a grievous task. He's saying, hey, work under the sun, work without God, it can lead to overwork, where you unbalance your life. You just work, work, work. And by the way, that's destructive of the relationships around you. And, and by the way, underwork, the guy who does nothing with his hands, that also leads to unbalance, which is also destructive to relationships around you. Overwork and underwork, they're both unbalanced, and they will both tear at relationships, and either way, you have an unbalanced life, and you're off. It's wrong. And Solomon's saying, hey, two handfuls of work. He's saying, no, better one handful of work 
and one handful of rest. He's saying that's better than two handfuls of work or no handfuls of work. He's saying you've got to live a balanced life. Work, rest. But what leads you to that is life with God. And so if work, wealth, and achievement don't bring happiness, then the question, obviously, that we're all coming toward, this is the whole book heads this way, is how do we have a life of happiness? How do we have a life of meaning and purpose? And and understand what he's saying. He's saying work and achievement can be good things, but if you depend on that for your happiness, you'll be disappointed every time. And here's some of the things Solomon's telling us. So here's the conclusion of this work issue. Find happiness, he says, in the present, not the future. You see, a lot of people work and achieve thinking, someday when I attain this level or I get this, then I'll be happy. So I'm going to work, 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 and that's a good thing, delayed gratification in some sense. I'm going to work, work, work. But then if you're thinking that work is what is going to deliver on happiness someday, you're going to get to someday. And by the way, that someday is very long in coming because when you think a certain level is going to satisfy you, by the time you get to that level, you're already thinking, wow, if I could just get to that next level, I think I can hit that, then I will really be happy. And there's a level after that and on and on it goes. If you work for yourself, it's probably the same thing where you're thinking, well, I can do better. I can reach more. You know, it's all that. There's always a place to go higher that's what he's saying I mean God created every good thing and work and nature and people and we're meant to enjoy them with God here's what he says in Ecclesiastes back to Ecclesiastes 2 he says there's nothing in 24 Ecclesiastes 2 24 and 25 there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good this also I've seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Solomon's saying. Don't think, and many people do, maybe most people in our culture think work and achievement, especially in a capitalistic, which capitalism is great. It's brought more people out of poverty than any other system in the world. But most people within our system think work and achievement, that will bring happiness. When I hit this level, it'll be better. I'll be more happy in the future because of this. Although there's a dark other side to that, some people mourn the past and they think, yeah, I was happy then and I lost that person or I lost that thing or I lost that job and all my happiness is behind me and I'll never be happy again. We just mourn the past. Don't do that either. Your happiness is not in the past. Your happiness is not in the future. Solomon is telling us, be happy now. Follow God. Have joy today. And if you're not happy now, don't think that a change of your circumstance will bring happiness to you. Because you'll probably just have that change of circumstance and be your same unhappy self. Because the circumstance will not deliver. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying happiness is a gift from God. So be happy now and embrace and enjoy the seasons in life. Very famous passage of Scripture, and I'm not going to read it all, 
but it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting off this way. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to unroot, uproot what's been planted. And he goes through all that. You've all probably heard it. In verse 9, he says, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work of God, the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. He's saying, hey, there's a time for everything. Embrace the present. Embrace the time that you're in. Embrace the seasons of life. There's a time for everything. Of course, our culture doesn't do that, right? Our culture, especially people my age, our culture teaches us, chase youth. Hang on to youth as long as possible. Mourn your youth. And people wish that they could go back and live their youth over again with the wisdom that they've accumulated as an old person, right? Ever think about that, man, if I could do that all with all the stuff I know now, that'd be a whole different story. Yeah, we think that. Do you know in heaven, we will have all the wisdom that we ever accumulated and way more because we'll be in the presence of God. But at the same time, we'll have the youth and energy to enjoy our time in heaven, to enjoy being in the presence of God. What we wish for now we will get more of that in the future in heaven. And we do that through a life on earth with God that leads us to an eternity with Him forever. We'll have wisdom of old age with the health and energy of, of youth. Don't keep hanging on to the past chapters of your life. I want a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Pam says, you don't need a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. You know, it's that. 20-somethings. Embrace your season of life. You're graduated high school now. Put down the video game. Get out of your parents' basement. Go do life with God, you know. It's time. You want some parenting advice? As you raise your kids... Don't get ahead of them. Don't be thinking, oh, I can't wait till they're this age. You know, they're this age. Oh, it's going to be so cool when they're this age. Like when they could talk back and tell me what's wrong with them. You know, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to regret that talking back. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Or don't always be looking backwards. Oh, remember when, oh, I so much enjoyed when they were just a little baby. And you've blocked out all the diapers and everything. You know, so that was just so great. Solomon say, embrace the time that they're at right now. Don't wish they were older. Don't long for when they were younger. Embrace every moment because it only comes around once for each child. Embrace it. Enjoy it. But do it. Because that can become out of balance too. It's got to be done in the perspective of life with God as our children as a gift from God with our responsibility to point them to God. 
and then we enjoy and embrace every moment. And then last, last thing he's telling us to do, how do we do this? Seek the God that's above the hevel. You know, above the meaningless. There is meaning in life. You know, we see it every time. People get caught up in circumstances and then, and sometimes people just kind of throw their arms down. They're just, this seems senseless. Life doesn't make any sense. You know what they're saying? They're saying, what the hevel is going on? And we get that. It doesn't make any sense without God. It doesn't make sense philosophically. It doesn't make sense personally. It doesn't make sense vocationally. It doesn't make sense in our relationships. If we're just a cosmic accident, if it's just all chance, nothing matters. How we live doesn't matter. It's all nothing. It's all vapor. It's all fleeting. Satisfaction and joy and work and achievement are gifts from God that we only experience when we seek God. We only experience satisfaction in those things as we seek God in our life because those things don't bring satisfaction. Our relationship with God does have joy in Him. Because your Creator created you. And He created you with the capacity to have a relationship with Him, the God of the universe, all-powerful, all-good. But we all rebelled. We all sinned against Him. And He still loves us. And so He makes a way through His only Son, Jesus Christ, sending Him to earth, and He voluntarily giving up His life to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be reconciled to a just and righteous God without violating God's justice, without Him just winking at sin and saying, ah, it's okay, because it's not okay. And Christ died for your sins and my sins. And the way we get that accredited to our account, the way that helps us personally is if we receive it, that gift, in faith. By believing Jesus is the Son of God and trusting, putting our trust in the fact that His death on the cross paid for our sins. And when we do that sincerely, we will want to follow Him in the life and that's what will bring joy. Because God has planted eternity in our hearts that's why people attain things and they say, there's got to be more than this. Why do they say that? God has planted eternity in their hearts, in our hearts. There's got to be more. And the more is God. And if you hear this service and you don't have a relationship with God, we'd love to talk to you about that in room one, which is the corner, those double doors right there. Step in there. Whether you have five seconds, we'll just give you something to read, or five or ten minutes, we'd be happy to talk to you, answer any question that you have. Uh, we'd love to do that before you go this morning. Let's all stand together. All right. Well, thank